Blog Talk Radio. Pagans Tonight Radio, the voice of the pagan world, featuring the man with all the questions that some don't want you to hear. Called the most dangerous person you will ever listen to, the ever-curious digital pioneer, Ed the Pagan. And good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you're at. Uh, people have asked me, why don't I use that one? Because that was an old one that people knew me by. And I feel like uh, that has changed. But I guess people have um, wonderful feelings about it. So tonight, in part six of uh, our Emerging Leadership uh, series, it's been pretty amazing, hasn't it? Listening to last night and each of the nights. Uh, tonight will be number six, and on Monday will be number seven, because on every Sunday at 5 p.m. we play Tea Time, Mother and Crow, Tea Time with Mother and Crow. And it's been a wonderful opportunity. I love that show. Tonight we're going to talk to Katerina Elaine first, and J. J., uh, Reverend John Joseph Gonzalez. Yeah, I got it right. And so we're going to listen to them. They're very interesting. They're out of Kansas City, the Kansas City region. They are making hugely dynamic moves in their community. And this one's going to have a lot more discussion about sexuality, the energy. And when you hear Katarina's, what she did to get her apprenticeship, think Ireland, think, think abandoning your life and getting there. Oh, it's just breathtaking. It's beautiful and it's breathtaking. But let us just let them speak about it. I want to thank you. And this has been a great series. And I think I've left some of the best for last. I'm talking about to Katerina Elaine out of Kansas City area. And she has done a lot of different things. And I'm going to let her describe herself because she's very eclectic in, in a lot of ways. She has a very good practices, and uh, I'm going to go ahead and bring her on. Hi, how you doing? Hi, doing great. Having a good time. Uh, really excited about this opportunity to share a little on your podcast here and talk to you a little bit. I am Katerina Elaine, and I am based out of the Kansas City area. I describe myself as being a polytheistic, eclectic, traditional witch. That's kind of a lot of words. Um, but I find that it helps for me to be really clear with my words about what I am, and it clears up any misunderstandings and people have a better idea of what I'm actually doing um, when I kind of use those excessive labels. Um, because calling yourself simply a witch is such, a, such an umbrella term. It could mean so many things, especially these days. That term is really expanding to mean something that's even just an aesthetic sometimes. So a few more details about what I do is, is very helpful. Um, I love shadow work as far as my personal path is concerned. I probably do shadow work more than anything. And then in the community, I do sacred sexuality work and a lot of different kind of emotional work, holding space for people to process emotions and kind of mental health awareness. Fantastic. So. How did you get here? I always ask everybody, what is their comic book origin story? So I'm fascinated by the idea that, you know, this sort of heroic life we're living, this kind of this, I believe that we're in our own myths right now. And so what is your story? How did you get here? Goodness. It's been a really 
strange existence. I've been through a lot of interesting experiences um, growing up. I kind of lived all over small towns in Kansas mostly, but then traveled a lot. Um, I was adopted, so there was like some interesting family dynamics going there, going on there from foster care to adoption. And I was raised by a preacher, so I'm a preacher's kid. Uh, so I grew up in the church, not only in the church, but behind the scenes of the church and knowing very intimately what went into um, that kind of thing. And through just different experiences I had, some that were very sort of traumatic, um, knocked me out of that conditioning that I had been taught growing up. My, my mother in particular uh, was very evangelical, and so she was, she was very strict, and I was kind of in this very secluded bubble of you can only read these books, you can only listen to this music, you can only watch, you know, you can only associate with other people who are also of our religion. Um, so it was hard to break out of that mindset, but, but through some events, I did, and for a while there, I kind of just didn't really believe in anything. Uh, I was just finding myself starting all over again. And then I started having some funky dreams. Uh, dream work has always been an important part of my life, but I had some that were just like very vivid, and they kept kind of talking about which stuff. That was the theme, and I thought, well, that's very strange. At the time, I didn't think witches existed. I was like, those are fictional characters, right? They're like from Halloween cartoons. Um, it didn't occur to me that witchcraft was an actual practice and that Wicca was a religion for some people and that it wasn't just the cartoons and, and the stuff you see in fantasy movies. Um, there was a real aspect of that as well. So I figured that out. I ran into a witch's shop at one point. I'd actually taken a wrong term and kind of just showed up in front of it. And I was like, what the heck is that? Are you trying to tell me that witches are real? Um, and that kind of changed everything for me. From that point, I was like solitary studying all of these different books and trying these different practices, especially dream work, because that was very easy for me. And at some point, I eventually dedicated myself to say, okay, this is what I want. I want to learn witchcraft. I feel like this is right for me. Um, I'm interested in Wicca. I think that could maybe be my religion. And I'm interested in the pagan culture. I want to get into that. And I did something really dramatic. I sold everything I owned and I moved to Ireland to find a teacher. Um, in retrospect, I'm like, wow, 19-year-old me was crazy. I would never do that now. Um, but it worked out for me. It, it was what I needed to do, and I found a couple in Galway, Ireland that just were kind of like, oh my goodness, and they took me in, <laughs> and I just lived the life with them. They showed me what it was like to live as a pagan, to grow your own food and herbs. They had an entire library of books, so it was, it was an absolute dream. They were just kind of like, here is this entire wall full of books. Study whatever you want. I'm like, oh, wow, you know. Um, and learned so much from them and worked on their market stall that they had every weekend where they sold kind of pagany type things um, at their market stall. And that was an incredible experience. And then from there, I finally, you know, I had a little bit of coven experience. I had a couple other mentors, um, a, lot of, a lot of good things. And then I ended up at Aquarius. And I was like, you know, 
pretty sure this is what I want to do with my life is, is metaphysical store work and witchcraft. I should have caught on to that a lot earlier, but I did figure it out by the time I started working at Aquarius. That's really what I wanted to do. And here we are. So, okay. This is very fascinating. So, Oh, there's so much in there. <laughs> yeah, there is. So, so the first thing is, so you, you kind of had this hint of it. Some people would say it was almost like, like you know, that, that you had these energies of where it was and you saw it in your cartoons and that, but didn't think it was real. And then you ended up in front of a store. It was like that moment, like when they show, like that the idea of you should show up to the store. is like, oh my God, that was there, huh? Yeah, and, yeah. What made you want to go, okay, so then you decided to take the big plunge of going to, am I right, Galloway, Ireland, I heard? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That, well, first of all, scary. I, I'm a big lover of travel, so, but, you know, and I've taken some odd trips, but... To, to actually move to a space to look for something that you weren't exactly sure at the time, right? That, that it actually existed the way that you imagined it. And it sounds like you found cottage witches or hedge witches or like just witches, right? Did yeah, have, I think they would describe themselves as pagans. Um, it's the way they always describe themselves. Yeah. Um, so that must have been a very fascinating moment. How long did you do that for? How long were you with um, them? Gosh, it was several months. Uh, but I wasn't able to get a work visa. So I was only there for a few months before I had to either come back to the States or like be kicked out. <laughs> and I thought, well, I might want to come back to Ireland one day. So I better just go ahead and go back. Um, so it was just a few months with them. And then uh, they've been able to come and visit me a few times since. And that's been really cool. So you're still involved with them. That must have been very intense and, and unusual. So, so one of the things you mentioned earlier in your description that you do a lot of emotional work. That's not an often used word, you know, so let me go ahead and you know, say it. for a lot of the Xers and I've seen in the baby boomers, we were in, there's a lot of the, what we call political work or energy work or healing work, or mm-hmm. it, it was sort of about this work as mechanical, as psychological. And a lot of witchcraft I grew up was, you know, what you think is what you believe and everything else. How is emotional work different? Because I know it's different. I've seen it. But can you explain? I couldn't explain this if I tried. Um, can you explain what, what what you mean by emotional work? Yeah, I'll I'll give it an attempt. Uh, mental work obviously involves you know psychology and mental health, a lot of writing, a lot of thinking. Emotional work is about helping people expand their emotional awareness and holding space for them to pay attention to their emotions, process their emotions in whatever way they need to, information that they might need to label their emotions and work through them, especially during times when they're feeling triggered. And we're going through a lot of collective trauma right now. So there's a lot of crazy emotion going on. Um, a lot of people are feeling triggered by things and they don't recognize that that's what's going on, that something primal in them has been sort of touched, their sense of safety or security or whatever it is, and that that causes a whole emotional just explosion, um, it causes, there's a whole uh, list of different reactions that it causes, but it can cause you to fight or flight or or freeze or fawn, and that that has to be dealt with emotionally. There has to be space for that. It doesn't just go away because you think about it. Um, You can't like mentally control your emotions, otherwise people would be a lot more rational than they are. Emotions are their own thing and they have to be kind of accepted and worked through in a space that is okay for that. 
before you can get back around to being rational and making good decisions with your brain. One pretty good example of emotional work uh, that actually earned me the nickname emotional support goth in sort of my local pagan area uh, is that I was sitting with someone for a while and I am an emotional empath. So I was picking up on all the emotions they were experiencing. And I was holding space for them as they were going through a breakup and they were crying and talking about it. And I started crying with them and just being there with them doing what they were doing. And they were a little confused about that a second and they started to say, well, I'm sorry, I made you cry. And I said, no, 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 you didn't make me cry. I'm crying with you. Like we're doing this together. We can laugh with other people. We can also cry with other people. And I'm just gonna do this with you until you get through it. It's just a matter of, of holding space for what people are going through realistically in the moment. No denial, no pressure to move on to allow it to happen. And so that's become, and I, I'm, that's becoming very important to what, what the work is. And you do mm-hmm. more traditional stuff. You do spells, you do. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and you do that sort of thing. And, and so working in a shop like that must be very interesting because people bring you all sorts of problems, right? They do. I've certainly had some weird ones, um, especially mm-hmm. considering that I'm kind of the sacred sexuality go-to in the shop. So when people have weird sacred sexuality questions, it's usually me. Um, but I've rarely seen anything that was too crazy. You know, there's there's a lot of third eye junkies and there's a lot of escapism that happens. Uh, with people, but, you know, nothing too incredibly wild that doesn't fall within the realm of spiritual beliefs that are reasonable. Um, it, it, I do have to learn a lot of varied things, because Aquarius, in particular, accepts all kinds of spiritual paths. So we have just a mm-hmm. huge variety of things that we sell and people who are coming in so they're, they're asking questions on this like massive variety of subjects and areas that I've never studied. And I'm like, ooh, well, I'm not an expert in that at all. Uh, but I, I get to learn little bits and pieces of everything. And that's really cool to just kind of have some varied information like that. Stopkeeping is hard. And, and you do get a lot of questions. But you mentioned sacred sexuality. And you do an event as well, you know, that you that you're become the go-to person. So that's how I originally uh, got to know your name was through the idea of when I was studying what people were doing about creating new space because of the tremendous, and people don't realize we're getting through it, but there was that one time a couple of years ago, probably five years ago, six years ago, mm-hmm. where you saw this tremendous uh, amount of energy in the idea of trans community, uh, mm-hmm. straight community, gay community, all these sort of different communities, and pagans are trying to be very acceptable, but it just kind of bubbled up, you know, kind of bubbled up to where you know, this idea of, of what does it mean further than just being hedonist, which is, you know, the older generation, let's be honest, they were hedonists. They loved to be that. And they were open to what I would call binary. But you were one of the people working in non-binary space. I don't know how to phrase it. Maybe you can phrase it better for me. But the idea of moving beyond just the Lord and Lady, the kind of binary relationship. You may be gay, but you're still male. You may be, you know, um, a lesbian, but you're still a female, you know, and the idea of, of, of these gender roles really started breaking down about five, six, seven years ago in the, in mm-hmm. the community. And you, 
you've just kind of emerged into that world. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because I think you handle it much better than a lot of people way years experience. Hmm? Yeah, I um, I think you're describing it pretty well. It's it's gender fluidity. It's not being stuck on that idea of there are only two ways. Um, the binary is one way that we can divide existence. We can look at the world through binaries. We can look at the world through black and white and polar opposites. And there's a time and a place for that. There's a time and a place for using polarity to generate energy, kind of that explosion of pulling opposites together. But it's not all the time, and it's not all the place. Um, it isn't everywhere. So, yes, my event, Temple Scarlet, the retreat that I do, as well as sometimes when I go to other events, I've done some classes on um, called pre-sex, which is just kind of breaking free of the, the gender roles of being a priestess or a priest, you know, so you're just being the person who does that work and it doesn't have to be tied to a role. Um, but it's absolutely friendly for all kinds of, of genders, the work that I do, and acknowledges that, you know, gender is different than your physical makeup and that you don't have to be physically or identify as a woman to draw down a goddess, that's silly. Uh, that's very human thinking. This is all energy. And in, when it comes to energy, when it comes to deity, those lines are not so solid for them. They don't necessarily need to be for us. I didn't ever really expect to be doing that work, but I just kind of accidentally ended up on the forefront of it as it was, as it was happening. I knew it was important to hold space for people who didn't want to be a part of that binary I have always been a feminist, and at a certain point, it just kind of makes sense to dismantle that binary idea and understand that there's a spectrum and there are a lot of options and just respect what people want to be and let them be themselves. So it's interesting work, and Temple Scarlet is absolutely a safe space for all kinds of different things. Certain classes may be restricted to, you know, this is only appropriate for people who have a vagina um, because we're using yoni eggs and you're not going to get anything out of it if you're not, you know, actually participating in that way. So mm -hmm. some classes are restricted in certain ways, but it's a space that includes everything as far as the gender spectrum goes. And I've been finding out that that's probably one of the hardest things for the eldermost, and that's a term that I've been using for the 65, 70, 75 year old members, you know, because mm -hmm. people, well, people go, well, yeah, but that's, you know, a young age. Well, it used to not be so young age. And uh, people don't realize we're living for a fairly long time. And they're having, you know, I've noticed that we've seen really battles because some of these olders are having a hard time managing with that idea. Um, mm -hmm. And they're asking, why do you have to change the name of everything? And they feel, in a lot of ways, they feel betrayed by, you know, they thought they, they had all the answers. And then the younger generation comes along and says, well, you have a lot of great answers. We're going to build on that. Mm -hmm. Isn't that the cycle? <laughs> it is the cycle. And so one of the things I, I'm looking at is that, so, you, so we see a larger acceptance. And you says you're, you know, eclectic. You, practice, you pull in a lot of practices mm -hmm. that you do. Why do you think that so and you you had a bit of apprenticeship and you're kind of apprenticeship a combination of apprenticeship learning and and kind of the uh 
little bit more intense uh, ideology, I think, than most of, of them. I think because we hear a lot about interneters, we hear a lot about book reading, but you've actually had some apprentice work. You actually served. And I got lucky. I got incredibly lucky. Um, the older I get and the more teaching I do, the more I understand how rare that is. It's, mm-hmm. it's not really how teaching is done anymore. People mm-hmm. give, you know, online classes, they write books. That's, that's how teaching is done. I just happened to get very lucky in that I did have a, a little bit of people willing to take me under their wing. Um, but I unfortunately experience a lot of people now in the metaphysical store who are just looking for someone to kind of call them the chosen one, you know, some wizard out of nowhere that's going to come and be like, you are the chosen one and you're my apprentice now and I'm going to teach you everything. Um, But they're not already doing the work for themselves. And it has to start with you. You have to start there, take some initiative, start learning Mm -hmm. some things. And and, and then you'll run into some teachers at some point. But Well, as one of the biggest advocates for online teaching, for me, that was one of the issues that I had very early on is that you get involved with a teacher, then they would move away, and then you'd get mm-hmm. with another teacher. I'm a gardenarian, and so the idea was, you know, I, I don't know how many times I got started. And I had to go through the first degree like three or four times. Oh, no. You know, because they That's wouldn't. Problem. And because the next teacher wouldn't accept what the last teacher is. So what did I do? I went out and built a regular type of school for yeah. the idea of it that was more modernized. But, but some, I bet you've learned some different things from every one of them. Yeah, uh, kind of. They were all kind of the same group and, and the same teachers. Hmm. It was very interesting because I think that's something it is. But I do think that a lot of younger people are looking for that hands-on, that they don't mind getting the online teaching, but they want to get more hands-on. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's one thing that you do. So you hold an event every year, right? Can you talk about that event? Yeah, the Simple Scarlet Retreat. Mm-hmm. It's, it's pretty incredible. I've been loving doing it, and it's been surprisingly really well attended and really well received. So it is a sacred sexuality festival. It's mm-hmm. probably pretty similar to some things that are going on on the West Coast and the East Coast as far as sacred sexuality is concerned, but at a much more basic level. Uh, here in the Midwest, we are in the Bible Belt, and we have a ton of conditioning Um, from some of the very, like, toxic evangelical Christianity that we still have to work through. And there's a lot of things that we weren't taught about, like, consent, about sex education, about gender, things that we don't know and we're still trying to learn in general in this area. So it's sacred sexuality with a foundation of consent and education. It's, It's very at its core, and it's starting to build here and starting to get into more interesting practices. But the goal right now is to help people understand the importance of safety, the importance of consent, and get better educated about themselves and just look at sex in a way that is not so taboo and a way that is not so dirty um, and accept it as something that can be healthy, can be natural, can even help you to experience the divine and become more spiritual when that energy is raised. It can be used magically. It can be very sacred if you want to make that happen. So you, you mentioned a very important thing. A lot of the leaders that I've been talking to are coming off of East Coast and West Coast. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And there's very few that are actually coming out of the Midwest. It seems to be like, you know, flyover country. I'm from Chicago, so I was very fortunate that we had a lot of culture. But once I got out of the city, you saw it kind of diminished. Kansas City is a growing community. But in that sexuality, how much of that is also giving people per, finally permission? I mean, not just consent, but permission. Are, you know, to give themselves permission to, to, to be a part of that. Is that a part of it? Absolutely. And in the past couple of years, it's been, there's, it's been growing and expanding. There are more and more people that are interested in doing sacred sexuality events and sacred sexuality thing. It's wanted here. It's needed here. It's just a little bit difficult to do because we have to kind of start from the basics here. Uh, the Midwest is, is definitely behind. Better since the internet has become so, you know, such a thing. We're catching up a little better that way, but but we're still behind, and we need more leaders who are not coming in and doing the advanced East and West Coast stuff, but that are coming in and meeting us where we're at and helping us build up to a different level. Fascinating. So you're also, let's take this a little bit. You're also an artist, and I know mm-hmm. you have a bit of a theatrical. Um, if you look at oh, her, I love theater. and if you ever look at her pictures online, they're beautiful. Um, they're well laid out. I mean, in, in a very sensitive way. I don't. I don't mean that in sort of the way of like, oh no, for the male gaze. But you, you, you do style yourself so that people are looking at different personality sections you've got, or different ways of looking at you. You know, can, you know, because I get I run into problems with some of the younger people. I go, oh, you're that's so beautiful, and they go, I'm not doing it for the male gaze. I understand, but it's still well. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's it an art. Um, it is an art, and um, I'm not opposed to the male gaze. I, I don't believe it's wrong to see things online and think women are very attractive. You just have to be very respectful about how you handle that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to understand that they aren't doing it for you mm-hmm. and not expect that your opinion matters. And, um, you know, be very respectful about it. Yeah. Something I've learned uh, how to, I'm learning how to do that better. Um, <laughs> My daughter yells at me all the time. She's always yelling at me of my uh, my tendencies. Uh, she's yeah, a lovely young lady. raised a certain way and conditioned a certain way, so you're undoing it. Good for you. Oh, yeah. Um, and I've tried because I've been a pagan for a fairly long time. I came mm-hmm. out of very Christian. I've been, you know, pagan, you know, 30-something years. And it's always changing, and I always find myself, you know, like, okay, you promise yourself and your deities that you're going to try this. But... <laughs> Because I do see some of the younger people are yelling about, you know, trying to kind of exert this idea of we're allowed to do as we please. We don't need your opinion. Right. And I know that you're very much. But at the same time, you're doing, you know, art, you're doing, you know, you do you do modeling, but you actually do physical art. Um, I, we've gotten yeah. so, somewhere on Magic TV. If you look back, we have an interview we did right before COVID. With yeah. Your yeah. Um, I have to track that down. Uh, I, I don't know if I fall into the we can do whatever we want and we don't need you category. Mm-hmm. I feel like that might actually be a generation a little bit younger. Um, or, or perhaps because I've known so many elders and gotten along with them pretty well, I'm just a little more in between on that. Um, I want the elders to be a part of what I'm doing. I want to work with them and be supported with them. And I want to be able to 
ask them questions and confide in them and get their advice and learn from their experiences. I want this to be us working together. It doesn't always happen that way, you know, it's a two-way street. So sometimes it's, it's hard for the elders and they can't let go and that doesn't really work out. Um, but it's not for me a sense of I'm going to do whatever I want. It's I know where I am. I know that it's my time to be leading. Uh, and I know what needs to be done. So I'm going to start doing that. I really hope you'll be along for the journey. But to an extent, you know, if you can't give me your blessing, I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> And so I think your life is very much an expression of art as a general rule. I think more than anything else, oh, yeah. if, I were, yeah. if, I were to, if I were to express what Katarina is like, he says, she's an artist. She's a, a living embodiment of her art, be it be witchcraft or uh, paintings or other things of that nature. So I'm going to take it in a little bit of a different direction. So I'm going to yeah. ask you, um, I'm, so what is, so is there any favorite music or what type of music are you obsessing on now or you're playing with? Yeah, I have a genre. Um, people always say I should expand myself, but you know what? It's what I love, so I keep doing it, and it's gothic symphonic metal. Um, so Sirenia being my top fan, for mm-hmm. sure. Um, I'm also within Temptation, and Epica's pretty good. I really like Elaine. Just a, a lot of those very hardcore symphonic bands. So um, if you've heard of Nightwish, they're, they're one of the better ones than most people have heard of them. So. Oh, good. Um, it's been surprising me to hear all these answers. I'm, I'm looking for you because I'm looking to expand my music uh, repertoire. So It's very epic. It's very intense. It's the kind of thing that you don't put on in the background while you're doing other stuff. You like sit down and listen to it, and it's, it's enough. It's interesting. i got to check it out. Um, so do you have any future expectations? I mean, do you, you know, we're going to live 60, 70. You're the generation that is going to likely to see 100 most likely. And of course, mm-hmm. the trope out there of witches live a very long time. Look at the age of our elders. They look beautiful at their ages. They look strong at our, their ages. We fully expect that a lot of witches will make it to 100 or more. Having said that, do you have any future expectations for yourself? Oh, I'm all full of goals and ambitions. I'm a very ambitious person. Um, I do have mental health issues for sure. And I do struggle with depression and I've been relapsing during the pandemic i think a lot of people have so assuming that i do you know manage to stay alive and live a full life i'm going to be honest about that uh yes i have a lot of things that i want to do with my life i fully intend to open my own metaphysical store at some point i'm slowly learning how to do that but no pressure i'm not pushing myself to do it anytime soon whenever i'm ready and i would like to hold space in the community with my own shop for all of those kind of practices that are considered very taboo around here still, like sacred sexuality, um, for people to be able to explore shadow work and work with dark deities and do ceremonial magic and maybe like study the works of Aleister Crowley without being given judgmental glances, uh, things like that that are, are still not really happening in the Kansas City area. There isn't really a space for that right now. So hopefully one day I will be able to open a shop and provide a good space for that and perhaps do a little online stuff as well and a little bit of traveling and we'll see. I do also expect Temple Scarlet to keep growing and I don't know what direction it's going anymore. The pandemic really affected kind of my prediction 
So we'll see what direction Temple Scarlet grows. Um, but I'm I'm excited to grow with it and figure out what it's going to become. So. Yep, the God, we make plans and the gods laugh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so final thing is I, I would like to know, so if you were able to send a message or talk to your 15-year-old self or any 15-year-old, what would be the advice you would give them? Oh, my goodness. It does get easier. It does get better. Like, I promise, even though it's so easy to get caught up in – the difficult things that are going on in your life right now when you're 15, I promise you that things can change and get better if you just keep moving through time. Thank you. If anyone wants to contact you or find out more about what you're doing, how would they do that? Social media is probably the best way. Um, I am on Facebook and I'm on Instagram and I'm getting used TikTok and trying to use that a little more, especially to kind of reach out to uh, a lot of the customers who come into the Aquarius store. Mm-hmm. And to learn about Temple Scarlet, I've got templescarlet.com. There's a lot of cool information on there, not only about the retreat, but kind of other projects. We have a shrine that we keep in the area, and we have a resource page to help find sex positive therapists. So it's worth a visit. Absolutely. So you've been listening to uh, Katrina Lane, uh, one of the emerging leaders. You're going to hear a lot more about it. And I'm hoping as I get Peggy tonight uh, going back again, that we'll be able to hear more uh, from from her and others in the Kansas City area. Um, I, I think it's one of the most exciting areas. It's one of my favorite uh, festivals, one of my favorite campgrounds. Mm-hmm. I've been very drawn to it, so I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Um, and thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you. And with that, we're going to be right back from with Pagan tonight after this break. And we're back to our main studio here in uh, Florida in, in really cyberspace. And people have been asking me, um, am I planning to continue talking to people like emerging pagan leaders? And, and our next two, uh, next week, we're going to be talking to Greg Bornstein. Uh, of Open Loops, a conscious disruptor on Wednesday. We're going to be talking to some of the parliamentarians, including Lady Angela Munn, uh, Lady Lori Denman. We're going to be talking to uh, participants across the board. And uh, Thursday is my big speech that I'm going to be giving. Uh, it's called The Digital Disruption of the World's Religions. And then, yeah, more of the parliament. Also, I'm going to be looking for authors. We're going to start talking to authors about books and starting to get ready for Christmas. I want to talk to all sorts of people. Uh, uh, and I also want to talk to store owners. So you know, check it out, edthepagan at gmail.com. Let me know what you want me to talk about, who you want me to talk to. And, uh, and yeah, feel free to be you know, to, to ask you know, for yourself. So that's kind of cool. Right now we're going to take you on. It's Saturday night. And so – this is going to be a bit more adult than most people are used to for this series, but uh, this is uh, one of my favorite people, uh, Reverend JJ, uh, has a few other nicknames. All hail Reverend JJ. Hi, everybody. So we're in another episode of Emerging Pagan Leaders, and today I'm with uh, one of my great friends, Reverend Sir JJ. Uh, how do you... How do you pronounce your last name? I'm asking everybody to do it because everybody knows I put your last names. And welcome. 
Hello, Ed. Gonzalez. Uh, Gonzalez. Is is really kind of how it's pronounced. Okay. Everybody mispronounces it. I just go with it. I understand that, but we want people to be represented. So I uh, met uh, Reverend JJ a while ago in 2012. And it was just, it was by pure coincidence, I was doing uh, Heartland Pagan Festival. As you know, at that time, I was doing what I do now as being a reporter, and I was reporting on them completing their land sale and their land purchase. And they asked, says, oh, put me where the best activity is. And they dumped me right in front of a place we will talk about later. Um, and through that, I met a, a terrific number of young people and uh, leadership, and I've had a relationship with them ever since. And it was one of my favorite festivals every year. I tell everybody that Heartland Pagan Festival is one of my favorite festivals. And so without further ado, welcome. Hello. I, I remember that day. I originally came to you because I was going to warn you about where you were camped. That's what, exactly what you did. You warned me to go. And then when I found out what it was, I was like, okay, this is kindred spirits. Um, and, and, and that's one of the things I think people don't understand. When you get to be into some of the speaker roles or some of that, people think of you as suddenly changing into like an orthodox person or, or being a stiff-necked. And I'm, if you know me, I'm not. Um, but, 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 but this is never about me. This is about uh, the people that I'm speaking to. So you're a leader. You're doing Heartland. There's a lot of things we'll get into. But how did you become a pagan and, and where you're at in the world today? Uh, I well, call, your comic I, book story. Okay. I started like anybody in the night, you know, in the late 90s, reading the, 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 the witchcraft books, going to the Unitarian Church, went to Heartland. My dad dropped me off, would not let me tell my mother months before he died. I'm 19, don't know nothing, don't know nothing, and I wanted to be involved. It took me a while to find that group, and these loud people took me into their group and said, hey, you can help out if you wanted. I just wanted to help. I was also the guy helping clean the porta-potties and the shower house out there. So, because I was too broke to, you know, pay for my full way to get in. So I would, we have a work exchange program. So I would, you know, work and clean the shower house. And these group of people were like, hey, you know, let's set ourselves aside in a little area and get a little bit more wild and not allow kids there and create this safe little space where we cannot, you know, for lack of a better term, act like douchebags. And okay. I was helping and helping. I was also uh, learning from uh, trying to find a coven, you know, for years. And I did stuff with several covens and was welcomed, but it just wasn't my place yet. And out there at Heartland Pagan Festival, I met uh, Bob and Marsha Clark of the Waters Meat Tradition. And this was like 2011, 2010. And they told me everything I didn't know <laughs> and helped me because uh, I want people wanted me to lead, but I wasn't ready yet. And they took me under the wings and 
I've just been busy cleaning up. And then one day people are like, Hey, you know, since you're in charge of things and I'm like, I'm not in charge of shit, man. I'm just the guy cleaning up the mess. And they're like, no, you're in charge of this shit. <laughs> Tell us what to do. And I'm like, uh, let's not wear so many clothes and drink. <laughs> and, and that's become a very thing. So you run basically. So it was, I've heard it called the lane. It's now gotten short down to the lane at Heartland. It's, uh, or it was originally called when I first there was Leather Lane. And it, and you and you have and the the name sweet ass and you, that is your one of your monikers if I'm okay with saying that. Um, you don't get to pick your name on the lane. It's no. given. Yeah. It, it's we have our own little. Uh, on the outside, it looks like a party. What it is is a ritual. It's an all-inclusive, sex-positive ritual. Uh, some people want to go out and stay in their tent and do their own thing, go to a couple classes. That's great. Mm-hmm. Others don't. And we provide that experience who want to be loud and who want to. And we have all these traditions we've built over the years because tradition is important and part of the ritual of making people. I don't think magic can happen if you're not comfortable. You, if you don't make people feel welcome, you know, I always I, I was telling my my baby lushes this this year. You don't know whose life you're gonna save just by saying, Thank you for coming down. I'm glad you're here. Let me may I give you a hug. Because mm-hmm. a lot of us are outside of society and and we don't get along with our families and we argue about politics and Festivals like this were invented for pagans to meet each other, not just to go take some pictures and go home. And to do that, you have to create an environment to where people feel welcome. And you never know whose life you're going to save just by saying, thank you for coming down and, you know, drinking some wine with me. I appreciate your existence here. And to me, that's, that's the magic that we want to create. Uh, well, when I'm doing uh, Leather Lane stuff, because it is, it was called the Leather Lane before the Lushes ever even had anything to do with it, mm-hmm. and it just, it's one of those things that it just carried on over the years, uh, and now that I'm actually involved with Heartland officially, because I was unofficial for so many years, mm-hmm. I still helped out and did things. Uh, I'm the chair of the membership now, membership and community involvement, so if you want to be involved, Go to kchsa.com and attend a membership meeting on second Sundays because we're, uh, you know, nonprofit and we're a membership run organization. Everything is done by vote. My job is to help people feel included because that's what I like to do. And you're also, you guys also are doing now, you started up right before COVID and got snapped at a little that it kind of i was there i was like ah. the weekend i almost got trapped there and uh, <laughs> um but you were doing the heartland artesian and wellness fair i got that right artisan and wellness fair that was that was a new project that was our second year it was our baby project mm-hmm. i was so excited i'm going to talk to everybody that comes in those doors and like 20 people came in those doors because 
that was in Johnson County, Kansas. And that was, we were just getting cases of coronavirus in that county. Mm-hmm. When the, like the net two days later, you couldn't buy toilet paper. Right. That, and I remember that. And, but I see that your guys are going to get it started again. Yes. I, okay. As far as I'm aware, we are. Okay. And uh, I saw that the Heartland Pagan Festival this year, at, it's, which is held at Gaius Retreat, is it's the year of the Phoenix. Your theme is going to be the year of the Phoenix, right? We just voted on that. And I'm really excited about that. I'm a, I can understand that. Um, I think that's really uh, a, a great idea because you guys have had a rough time. You guys have been trying to continue through through the COVID period, but this is a very longer tradition. So let me go ahead and talk about your about you. Okay. So one of the things that you do besides make people very comfortable, very sex positive, we've got you've got a number of great stories. Maybe we'll get into some of them. Um, the group is sometimes called the Luscious, but you're also and and you're also doing like things like energy work. You do a lot of energy work and you have some really interesting ideas. Can you talk about your energy work? Uh, before I had access to, to instruction and I only had what was in, you know, the pagan books, everybody else has read, you know, you can feel energy. Everybody's done that to where you feel the energy, you know, in your hands or you hold your hands next to somebody else's and you try to feel your energy. A lot of people did that. Well, I was by myself and I wanted to test, I was very science oriented. So I wanted to test what I could do to create greater energy, what I could do. And I, so I started doing things in a methodical order with my friends that were around at the time. And what I ended up realizing is what I had figured out was a non-religious way of describing how to move energy. Of, of experimenting and playing with your own energy. Because I, I, I firmly believe, because every time I do this class, I'm gathering more data and I'm learning and I'm constantly readapting what I'm, what I'm doing in order to teach other people how to do this better. And I learn a lot each time I do it. It's not just a class for, I'm here to tell you about how I know more than you it's uh, an experience to where we all play with energy, just like you, a child would play with a toy, but in a methodical way, so we can see, hey, if you do this, what does this happen? If you do that, what does this happen? With the full knowledge of understanding that you have to learn how your own inner energy works for yourself. I can't tell you what works for you any more than you can tell me what works for me. So what I'm here to do is facilitate you in a methodical way, playing around with your own energies to see what works best for you and what circumstance you can create in your own self that uh, increases your effectiveness or understanding or both of how energy works. And what I like about it is I can add deity and talk about gods and goddesses and whatnot. But I could teach this energy course to open-minded Christians, Muslims, Buddhists, because I think that the energy within us all is universal. And a lot of us who are open-minded metaphysical people believe in this energy. I found that is even doesn't matter what religion you are, a lot of open-minded people go, yeah, I believe there's energy out there, and I think that your energy affects other people. Well, this is studying that. 
that's good. I mean, that's a a very interesting point of view is that energy is energy versus it being tied to any theology or or any direct philosophy. I think that I don't believe in the concept of a petty God necessarily or petty gods. I think that what is created in the universe exists, period. It's the structure of the universe. Mm -hmm. So whatever name you apply to it doesn't change how it works. Like you can call an electron Bob. It's still going to act like an electron. Mm -hmm. And so you're, so you're a pretty strong believer in science. Absolutely. And so that's an interesting thing. So there's a lot of people who are younger in magic. They think that magic and science are separate things, but you don't, you don't accept that as a general rule, that they're separate components. I think that logic and reasoning, but let's be real here. Religion can sometimes not be good. It's done bad things. Just the idea of I can say anything and I need to be believed because I'm a religious leader. That's dangerous within itself. Mm -hmm. uh, the Dalai Lama even said this, that logic and reason can balance out religion. I think it can help us create a religion that is less abusive, more inclusive, and frankly, just makes more sense. I think uh, science, uh, it, I mean, if you're pagan, you believe in nature. Science is, textbook definition is the study of nature. I had a person many years ago when I was talking about, you know, creating this class that I create and trying to understand the intricacies of how energy works and how magic, the fundamentals of how magic works, treating it like a thing that can be replicated. And she's like, well, it's, it's not like that. That's wrong. Look at this leaf. This leaf is just, it is, it's simple. And I go, no, science has spent decades trying to replicate what that leaf is. If you look under that leaf in a microscope and see the chloroplasts, that's magic turning that sunlight into energy. We're trying to replicate that for solar panels for generations now, and we can't do it. The idea that nature is just simple relies an understanding of nature and using science to understand what's going on in nature, I believe can help you uh, understand and get closer to nature. And that's where, on what words you use. And that's where your energy work comes in. You try to understand it, not just on the simple like visualization scale, but you actually look at ways that you can bring this idea of nature and science and, and the way that energy works and explains it in more of a, a way that is what we call uh, in real time, in physical space, as well as spiritual space. And uh, I've learned through, through not where I think the magic is, instead of saying this is what it is, is the magic is, is going, what is it? How does it work? Instead of having a preconceived notion going into it, and just making things up or because the reality is, is everybody has different perspective. And if you use the word, okay, shoot a rainbow out of your hands, 
Well, that a rainbow has a totally different meaning for somebody else. It's not going to have the same impact. And until you break down things that could be cross-cultural or personal, it's not going to make any sense. So instead of being like, do what I say, this is it, be done. It's like, let's take the time to figure out what brings you the power. If you imagine that your hand is now a cat or, or whatever, and if that's what works for you, then that's what you should do. So let's take this in a different direction. I think that as a leader, you're aspirational and inspirational, and you're probably one of the most, along with the people that you work with, um, sex-positive individuals that I've met. And not only do you represent something that's sex-positive, which I think is the simpler of it, is that you help others break down there are there are versions to being to allow them to be more sex positive. I've seen you talk people out of their pants and put get them into sarongs as an example. You know that especially men, and I'm not saying that it is, but like getting them to break down and be more open with their own bodies, their own spaces. The the secret to that, I think, because mm-hmm. you you don't want to push anybody. That's never okay. Consent is king. Consent exists through all, what you can do is create an environment that makes that okay. You never tell somebody, you know, take your pants off, put your sarong on. If you do that, you'll have a lot of people who are like, no, screw you, dude. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, and, and that should never happen. The first thing you want to do is be welcoming. The second thing is literally make it physically safe. Not just safe emotionally and talk about how safe it is. Just create a situation to where there are people on standby who are just like, hey, if you need anything, I'm here. And create this environment to where you don't allow negativity. You don't allow pushing. You don't have to just shout at people. And the secret to that is you don't accuse people of stuff before they do it. Mm-hmm. If you draw too much attention to negativity, you'll create negativity and just expect people to do the right thing and explain down here, these are the things that are okay. These are the things that are not okay. If you have a question, ask me for the time being, would you like some, <laughs> would you like some crappy whiskey out of a bottle? If not, here's some water and some goldfish. And, and I found that if you treat people like they're going to do better, they will do better. And once everybody else starts doing better, it's really easy. And then people feel comfortable to do that too. There's little, once you create that environment, there's little you have to do other than maintain that environment and let people come to it on their own time. That makes sense. And, and in your spaces, that the spaces that you've created, I noticed that you have um, everybody of almost every sexuality or persuasion or gender all kind of get mashed up together. There's like gender disappears. And I will say this. I've been in these spaces. I'm actually a big fan of them. And for all of this, yes, I, I, I see myself as a lush. Um, yes, I even have one of the lush names. But we won't talk about that. And it's like one of my favorite spaces to go to every year because it is the idea of gender not as a ne- not being that sort of thing the idea that your gender matters or your sexuality matters or your persuasions matter all that kind of disappears in, in these spaces that you've created 
Can you, you know, can you talk about that? I mean, I, when I mean that, is it like, oh no, you don't suddenly stop being that. It's just, it no longer matters. And you, you're, you're no longer uncomfortable with other people being whatever they're at. Mm-hmm. Well, once you create an expectation to something and mm-hmm. people tend to see that, you know, a lot easier. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways you do that is by just positive reinforcement, like, oh, you did this thing. Oh, you like this thing. Congratulations. You know, we have the tradition of if somebody says all hail something, everybody has to scream all hail something. Mm-hmm. It's as simple as setting that out. If somebody does something and be like, oh, well, this guy is into gay stuff. All hail gay stuff. Mm-hmm. And everybody screams all hail gay, gay stuff. Or, you know, when uh, you talk to somebody and be like, well, may you look upon the genitals of your choosing. Just just coming up with that and just being cheeky, not being too serious, not being too, now you must do this. Make sure you do it this way. If you just ease them into it a bit and be like, hey, because, you know, not everybody who comes to these things is is been a part of it for a long time. They may come out of a rural town in Oklahoma and this is their first event for like this. And that stuff does happen. And you start to look and see when that happens and you make sure, and, you know, you worry that some, you know, farmer person is going to be sitting next to, you know, some, some drag performers, but it's never a problem because you just treat everybody like they're just as valid and not make a big deal of it. And it takes care of itself. It's kind of creepy. It's not creepy. It's kind of creepy is not the word. It's amazing. It's mm-hmm. it's pretty amazing. You think you're going to have to spend all this work making that happen. But if you create the environment and just treat it like a normal thing, it just becomes normal. It just normalizes that. Mm-hmm. And so people, when he listen to this, think, oh my God, he must be a wild hippie and all that. But you work a very important job as in the medical field, especially dealing with people at the end of their lives, if we can talk a little bit about that. Oh, yeah. I do uh, home health and facility care, and I do hospice care. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, Whoa. I had jobs that weren't very spiritually fulfilling for mm-hmm. so long. I do this. I love it. And and you know. and you deal with the elderly for the biggest part. And oh, uh, yeah. I get hugged every day at work. And, <laughs> I love, I, it's like I have 60 grandpas and grandmas. And and you work with them and you try to make their lives comfortable. Yeah, as comfortable as they can be until they're they pass and I've heard you talk about it. It breaks your heart sometimes when they pass. I know. But you... I, it's part of life. If I do have the time to go back to school to get, you know, full on nursing certification like I want, mm-hmm. uh, I do want to go into hospice because to me, that's a sacred duty, helping people transfer and transition over to the next side. It's necessary. Death is a necessary part of life. And, you know, it can get to you, but it's 
to me, that's a sacred duty is helping somebody, even if you're doing nothing more than helping their hand. That's, that's to me, like if you're, you know, a minister and I'm a minister, you know, that's an important part of ministerial work mm-hmm. is facilitating that. And it doesn't matter that those people don't believe as I do. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter that they don't use the same words to describe the things that I'm describing, I'm just there to help if I'm doing nothing more than holding their hand and saying, you know, it's okay. And so, so and you worked really hard during this COVID period. I mean, you're an essential worker. <laughs> you laugh, but it is true that you were, you were an essential worker and, yeah. that, and you put in far more hours than you would have through any normal cycle and still uh, are and still are. Hmm? It's, I mean, burnout is a real thing. Mm-hmm. I am one of the lucky ones. I really like the situation I'm in. Mm-hmm. You know, I wish I could get time off easier, but who doesn't? But I, I was lucky that we just had staffing shortages. We're in as worse as many places, and nobody can keep anybody right now because burnout's a real thing. I'll give my left leg to have another good person right now because there's nobody because a lot of the ones that did it, if their heart wasn't into it, they didn't make it through the pandemic. It just, and it wasn't worth it because uh, we're not paid that well. It's like, you got to love it. You got to love it or else you're not, you're not going to be into it that much. And to, Every place is having a problem keeping people. I've gotten three raises for doing nothing. Well, I, I mean, I I did get like some awards, but we all got raises because everybody's so afraid of losing us. And I think this is a pivotal moment in society to when the people who aren't working are doing a good because it's making the people in power learn how important we are. And how we're worth more than twelve or thirteen bucks an hour. Yeah, absolutely, and I agree. Damn job. And, and you... oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead, please. And uh, people have talked about it before, and looking at the staffing shortage like it's a bad thing, and I'm seeing it as a good thing because this is a way of, this is our only way of because there aren't really any unions for this is collectively bargaining is eventually the market will have to adapt and pay us a higher amount to get it because they're going to need a million of us in the next 15 or 20 years. There's not going to be enough of us. There's, there's a shortage now technically, but there's predicted greater shortage and it's going to be a super competitive market, but not competitive for the, uh, you know, the wealthy and the rich, but competitive for us. Mm-hmm. We're going to be more valuable and we're needed. And, you know, they can try to figure out a way to short staff us and do all that stuff. But in the end, they re- you can't replace us with a machine and you can't replace us by outsourcing our jobs. So they're going to eventually figure it out. Because in Europe, you get paid a lot more doing the same job because there's not a lot of money going to, you know, the middlemen in the 
in the case like it is here, and maybe they'll figure it out that we're worth more than what we're getting right now. I think that I, I agree with that. I think that I've been, people have been really kind of mad at me online because I've been saying that this job shortage, this, this labor shortage, it's not job shortage, it's just plenty of jobs. And there's more jobs coming online all the time. But this idea of you know labor shortage is not really a labor shortage. It's a, it's a wage shortage for people. And people are able to move. I think COVID taught us a lot of things. Like we can make more money we, on, on our own. We don't have to start to work, but you have to do your job and you have to have a passion for it. And I think that's important, you know, of finding that passion. So you find a lot of passion in your life. I mean, be, between being, you know, working with Heartland and being a membership coordinator, and please check it out. Uh, I think Heartland is like one of the best festivals. And I've been to a couple of them, and, and I think Guy is one of the best places. I, and you know, I'm big into the idea of owning our own land. And, and the truth is, I've said this before, if, if we would have known, if I would have known what was going to happen in COVID, I think most of us, I would have asked to kind of hang out and move on to Heartland land during the whole pandemic time. Um, one of the things that people often miss is the fact that with Gaia mm -hmm. and with Heartland is, you know, there are a lot of people who want to be part of leadership. Mm -hmm. Well, the main requirement with Heartland especially and with Gaia is the work. Mm -hmm. You come in and you help us do stuff. Guess what? Boom, you're a leader. It's member run. And if uh, whoever's listening would like to be, you know, a leader in the future, come join up. Well, you're not going to be running stuff, you know, tomorrow. But if you come and do the work and help us, because that's how I did it. Mm -hmm. is I just showed up, did the, did the work. And when you're there, it, it, it's that simple. It, people try to sometimes overcomplicate it, but it's as simple as do you have the time to do the work with us? If you do, great. We'd love to have you. And not just, you know, some people just want to go to the festival, go home. If that's not what you want to do and you want to make a difference, we'd love to have you. We love to have as many souls as we can helping us create a better experience for everyone. And somebody comes to me and finds me on social media and stuff and wants to know more, you can talk my ear off about it and I'll tell you how to help. So there you go. So I know we have both have a love of, uh, tech, of tech. I know you're techie VR and all that. That's coming in. So we're going to leave that conversation for now. I just was listening to Metacon, which is a metaverse, the metaverse. Um, I've talked about the technological aspects of that. And, uh, but we're not going to bring that one up. So we're going to, I, a little bit of that today. But just to know that on top of all this, the science, the magic, the energy, you, you do have this love of tech. Yeah, out there. I, I mean, you could say it that way, or I could say I'm a giant nerd who keeps on buying toys that I don't need to buy, but... You're a VR person. You actually do some, some work in VR. You're actually putting VR worlds, to, you know, pieces of VR world together when you can. I, when I can, and I would like to build a bigger, you know, pagan VR circle, and I may get back onto that one day. The, the problem is, is you know, shift changes, and I went from night shift to evening shift, and I'm not there. I can't be there online in that meta space during uh, 
during the peak times, but there are still others who are doing it, and it's good too. Coming soon, the metaverse version of this thing. But this week we're talking about leadership. So let me ask the one question I've been asking. So music, because I'm always interested when people are of the younger generations are listening to. What are you listening to now? What music are you obsessing over? Uh, pagan metal, actually. I've been obsessing over been obsessing. I've been obsessed with. Uh, there's been um, there's two big huge divergent metal things. What you know about American metal and European metal are two entirely different mm-hmm. universes in of itself. European metal has gone more towards mixing lots of folk stuff, mixing full on pagan themes. There's many great pagan bands or bands who use pagan themes. Uh, you want to have two albums that are about every major god and gar- goddess or pagan culture uh, get it's a 2002 2004 CD but get Theory on Lemuria uh, and Sirius B album that will even teach you stuff about uh, mythology uh, that you haven't learned uh, there's all kinds of great Viking uh, based bands you got Ilivete um Wardruna, uh, where they're mixing the old folk music. You got Corpacani, which brings in the old Finnish pagan stuff. I'll tell you what, you've never gotten into a mosh pit till you've been into a mosh pit to an accordion solo. <laughs> it sounds weird, but no, uh, if you look up, there's a lot of these uh, bands that are basing uh, their music off of the old folk music and adding a little bit of that metal drive to it. And that's what gets me that those old folk traditions, that's what gets me going. That's my power music. Like that's what I get pumped up for a ritual for. And there's tons of bands uh, who um, incorporate everything from opera to orchestral to ancient, uh, ancient music and ancient pagan themes. I didn't realize I would have had a whole list of these bands, but I gave a few of them. Uh, if you go on Spotify and do pagan metal, you'll find a decent uh, northern uh, pagan, uh, northern European pagan list uh, of great songs. Uh, it's also a cool thing to look up on YouTube. You'll find some playlists that just have that'll just blow your mind away. Terrific! That's a great answer. So do you, where do you see yourself going into the future? I mean, we got a long time ahead of you because, you know, we, we're talking 60, 70 more years. Uh, well, first I'd like to, you know, go to the gas station and get another energy drink. But <laughs> uh, what I, unfortunately, you know, we're a counterculture and our own little microcosm of culture, but cultural effect, the greater culture affects us. And we've all seen anti-intellectuals, anti-intellectualism on the rise. We've all seen, you know, divisionism on the rise and anti-social behaviors. People are afraid to be a part of communities. People are afraid of this. 
And hopefully the work we do making things, you know, inclusive, non-abusive, and educating people using the internet as a tool to be educated, even if those physical resources aren't near you, not just to using the internet to just consume content that's mass produced for you, but using it to curate and grow. And because, you know, it's a double-edged sword. You can learn anything you want on the internet, or you could use it to not learn anything at all. Depending on how you use it is learn to use that in a bit more smart way and use the virtual spaces in order to bolster the physical spaces and build stronger communities. I, that's what I'm trying to do. Hopefully we pull it off, but I think that if the pandemic has shown us anything that the digital space is a great way to cure knowledge, but we also need that physical component as well. We need that real world component. And I think those two things can balance each other yin and yang style. And I'd like to see stronger, more inclusive pagan communities and more people less afraid to come out and help out and be a part of their local pagan community. Terrific. So the very last thing I ask is that you can send a message to the 15-year-olds, you, or the other 15-year-olds that are existing. What advice would you give them? Okay. Uh, be patient. Uh, don't, and don't try to, uh, you don't have to be perfect to impress anybody. You don't have to be the best at anything to impress everybody. Just try and be nice and people can accept you on those two merits alone. You don't have to be the grand wizard, voodoo warlock, high priest of the lichen vampire tribe in order for people to tolerate you and even love you. I want to thank you for being here with me today and to being part of this. Uh, I'm looking forward to even more conversations in the future. Um, so I appreciate that. Uh, and, you know, if you ever get to meet him, he is a very quiet soul. Not <laughs> no. But it is funny. So if you get a chance to come out there, because you come out to Partland Pegan uh, Festival, you should check out uh, – the work they're doing. You should also check out um, if you are in the Kansas City area or just anywhere really and want to help out with the festival, where can they find out more about it? Um, look up uh, Heartland Spiritual Alliance on Facebook uh, or the website is uh, kchsa.com. Uh, we have virtual meetings. Uh, we, they're in person too at Aquarius in uh, Kansas City the second Sunday. But uh, even before the pandemic, we opened it up to where you can virtual attend uh, the meeting on Zoom. And if you check the Facebook uh, page, uh, you can get a link to the meeting and any are welcome to join in the meeting because everything is nonprofit. Nobody makes money personally. And, uh, 
it's member driven. Once you're a member, you vote and you make the festival what you want to make the festival. So how would people, if they want to find out about your energy work and what you do, uh, more directly, how would they contact you? Um, if they're in the Lawrence area, in the future, I hope to open up my uh, class back at the uh, Village Witch at 19th and Haskell, but I will definitely be teaching my workshop at Heartland Pagan Festival, um, and I may create a virtual version because the mechanics are a bit different when you don't have a huge group of people. That's part of what the workshop teaches for shows the the dynamics of how a group can change energy um but i do want to create a solo version online and i'm also on tic-tac uh tic-tac so the tic-tock uh sweet r67 i'm gonna start doing uh little inspirational videos that i've been crafting just the last couple of weeks so he always stays in motion so thank you for being here We've been had this has been a great time. I almost forgot. Uh, if you search JJ Sweetass on Facebook, you'll find me. I'll be your friend. If you have questions, I'm here to help. That is it. Uh, there you go. And uh, so there you go. There's probably a lot more deaths deaths to JJ, also known as Sweetass. Uh, I always found that. that. I'm uh, really a dancing fool. You are. You 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 do. You have a you have a great time. I, I really do think you have a great time in life. And so thank you, and we'll be right back after these messages. And thank you, everybody, for being part of this today. And uh, I just think it's been this is a really good message. Um, I don't know how to describe it. This has been, like, a really my thing. We're going to be back tomorrow uh, with the uh, – uh, tomorrow with Pete Time with Mother and Crone and uh, just face a special regret with uh, the Right Reverend Jason High Perel. So that should be a lot of fun. And then on Monday, we complete the cycle with uh, Lord Nicholas Kinsley, a wizard and the prodigy of Oberon Zell. So I think that's going to be a very interesting conversation. But with that, we're going to leave you tonight with Frenchie and the Punk. Don't fear the rabbit.
And thank you for joining us tonight. We hope certainly you'll be available to us uh, more. Uh, blessed be.